Should I go back to, yeah, so Nicole has been talking about alignment for a long time, ever since I've known her, ever since, ever since before she came on staff, so this is just perfect, and the timing is perfect. So, pioneer, that's a good one. All right, so today we are going to continue looking at the parables as we have these last few weeks, and we are going to be looking at a parable that I have been studying off and on my whole life, and maybe you have too, and uh, some of the ways that it's been fleshed out for me, and uh, they have been through a painting, through a song, and through a book. And there are things that, that we have affinity for that God uses in our lives to help open up scripture, and those are some of the things for me. The first thing for this parable is a painting by Rembrandt. This is on the title slide, and this is a painting that is larger than life. I haven't seen it in person because it's in Russia, and it is uh, a painting of the son on his knees, the father compassionately holding him, and of course the older brother standing stiff-necked back just observing, along with some other observers. This was painted by Rembrandt, and uh, the book, uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son, by Henry Nouwen, is flesh, he fleshes this out beautiful and talks about that beautifully, the return of the prodigal son. The second thing that has uh, helped this come home is a song. It's a song by Rory Block. She's a blues singer, and she sings every single word of scripture. That's the whole song. She sings the parable, except for her son, who sings the words of the son, of the prodigal son. And it is gorgeous. It brings the emotion, the poignancy of this story to life. Uh, so there's a song. And then also there's a book, the book by Tim Keller called Prodigal God. He turns the idea of prodigal on its head as he refers to what the word prodigal actually is defined is recklessly extravagant and having spent everything. So yes, the son was a prodigal for sure, but the father, the father, he's the one that is foolishly extravagant as the older son uh, points out. But the father who is Jesus' depiction of God is just like that. Jesus is teaching this to the people that are listening. It's the tax collectors, it's the Pharisees and his disciples, and letting them know that this Father who art in heaven, he is like that. He's tender, he's extravagant. Jesus wants us to know this God. So I came to it this time informed by the painting, song, and book, and I was also struck by some new truths. And uh, I'm excited to share you. And you know how we come each time to a scripture, there's something new we find out. It's because scripture's God-breathed. It's because it's living and active. It's also, though, because we come to scripture new, differently, every time we come. So we come at different ages and stages with different experiences and new lenses. I read scripture differently when I'm in a good place, when my relationships are stable, when I feel good, as opposed to when I do not feel good uh, physically, if I have rifts in any uh, relationships, or if I'm wobbly in any other ways. I will feel differently, read the scripture differently as I read it during that time. And it's even been said to those of us who are list makers, be aware that the person you are when you make a list today is not the same person who is supposed to do the things on the list tomorrow. <sighs> These last weeks we've been going through the parables, and as you know, parables are used to bring to life 
uh, new ideas that Jesus is trying to tell us. The word parable actually comes from the Greek word parabole, para, which means place next to or to come alongside, and balo, which literally means to see meaning with. So Jesus gave us these illustrations, stories of things that were familiar in his day to place alongside to help us see and understand something new that we need help to understand. We always need help. Things like the kingdom of God, who God is, and more. This particular parable is the third of uh, the parables in Luke 15, and they're all parables about getting lost and then found. The first of the three is about a sheep getting lost. He's found. It ends with the heavens rejoicing. The second is about a silver coin lost, then found. It ends with the angels rejoicing. The third continues the lost and found theme, ending again with rejoicing and a bitter man who would not join the party. Let's pray for just a minute before I read the story. So God, we uh, open our ears that we can hear wonderful things from your word, which is living and active. You know where we are. So Lord, bring it home to us for us personally, for our church. We look to you and we pray these in Jesus' name. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So we went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses and said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to share? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion, and ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against earth. I am no longer to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and he was lost and is found, and they celebrated. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called out to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come back, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
The new truths for me in this parable, there are five of them, and they are about senses, formulas, paradox, being lost, and getting found. Number one, senses. He came to his senses. We need to come to our senses so often, don't we? That is something that I routinely pray for people when they ask to be prayed for. Some examples are when we are in a serious place of rebellion against someone who has the best intentions for us, when we are holding a resentment or grudge or even hatred against someone, when we are in a seriously unhealthy relationship caught in addiction. There's so many ways to become senseless. And this coming to one's senses cannot be made to happen. It is an act of grace. The son in this story, he remembered what he had forgotten. He had forgotten who he was and what was available to him. He remembered, oh, this is who I am. This is who I belong to. He remembered his true self. We might use the term our true self who is hidden with Christ in God, the self that nothing can mar or change because it is placed there by God who created him in his image. He had become senseless. He turned, came to his senses, remembered who he was, and went home. Secondly, formulas. We learned about formulas as a family when my husband Doug was diagnosed with a very rare cancer when he was 39. There was no explanation of where it came from, and there was no cure. We were thankful that we had a good 19 years with him. Here was Doug's question. Why would something like that happen when he had lived a really good life? He was godly. He was a good husband, loving father, hardworking, honest employee. He was one of the good guys. He had plugged in the correct formula for living, and he did not get the right answer. It was then that he came to his senses, and I did right behind, that following Jesus is not a formula. It is a relationship. A formula is a prescription for getting it right, for, for getting the right answer, for keeping oneself safe. We also realized then that it is in the unknown, the unanswerable, the suffering, that faith is not an option. We walk by faith, we push our roots deeper into God, and we are refined. A depth is forged in suffering that is best done in unfair suffering. That will happen in no other way. And that depth of trust in the unknown, well, that's what we call a walk of faith. And with regard to that bitter older brother, it does seem reasonable, doesn't it, when somebody sins, they should reap the consequences of their sin, and in fact, if they don't, I will be their consequence, because I know right. But Jesus messes the formula all up by showing us a picture of God's giddy delight, being over, having overruled what should be meted out to that young son. God's ways are not our ways clearly. And God loves us in a way that we humanly cannot comprehend, thus the need for the parable. And the celebration is not lost on the older brother. He stands alone outside of the party, rightly, righteously, with no love and a hardening heart. Number three, paradox. 
Following Jesus as we grow and mature requires our ability to embrace paradox. Remember the verse in 1 Corinthians 13? When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I acted as a child, I thought as a child. When I grew up, I put away my childish things. We, I love that the Bible even mentions children like that because we know kids. They're very black and white, and we teach them to be that way. You, you always do that. You always hold mom's hand when you cross the street. You never talk to strangers. We teach them that way because that's how they can get it. Uh, we would not think of talking to a two-year-old and saying, well, t hold my hand except when, and then start to explain to them other points of views or other ways of looking at things. We don't do that, but we do expect that to happen when they grow up, and for us as well. And Jesus implores us to grow beyond those childish ways and confronts and confounds us with sayings like, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. If anybody wants to be first, he shall be last. Whoever wants to be great shall be your servant. He that finds his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my, my sake shall find it. It goes on and on. It's almost kind of humorous. But he, that's, that, those are the sayings that we need to get our heads around. And we see that the older brother just can't get his head or heart around it. Even though he may have, he may have thought his brother was dead, he isn't rejoicing because he's stuck with the unfairness of it all. His brain couldn't compute. His heart couldn't give up its hold on what he felt was fair. God's ways are not our ways. Prodigal son and prodigal God. Number four, lostness. There is more than one way to get lost. In this story, there are not one son. There's not ones, but there's two sons that are lost. The one traditionally thought of lost, who eventually repents, even with impure motives, is rewarded by being enveloped in the father's love. Then there's the elder son. He's obedient. He's dutiful. He became lost as well, and in a more subtle and actually more devastating manner. It's hard, it's hard to spot. Um, being right, doing the right thing all the live long day, one can come become numb to the more subtle ways of moving away from the father. Tim Keller calls this the older brother syndrome. If they live, live an obedient life, have right thinking, they should get a good life. If they fall short of their own high standards, poor them, for the fury they unleash upon themselves is monumental. A side note, when you run into somebody who seems to have a critical spirit, have mercy on them because they are much more critical upon themselves than they are, either of other, than they are even on others. There's an inability to handle suffering because their moral observance is results-oriented. The obedient life is lived not out of thankfulness, but as a calculated way to control their environment. This is not reliance on, being, on God's saving grace. This is reliance on one's saving works, leading to one being lost. Being found. And this is the prominent truth that I found in this parable and certainly is the theme. God wants us to be found. God wants us to want to be found, even if I want to be found with impure motives. And how was the younger son found? He came to his senses. He turned his head. He went to his father who ran to him. As soon as he laid eyes on him, he didn't shame him. He didn't reprove him. He said, look, look, he was so overjoyed. 
open-hearted after being heartbroken. Look, look, my son, who I thought was dead, is alive. Come, we have to party. He wanted everybody to celebrate his son. A few years ago, I had a bit, just a teeny bit of that sense when I went to visit my granddaughter, Quinn, who was four at the time. And I walked into the house, and she grabbed my hand, and she took me over to where her older brother and his buddies were playing Legos on the, on the floor. And she comes over, and she says, guys, guys, look, look, it's Grammy. And the boys, you know, they look up, and they're like, hey, Grammy. And they look back, and they start playing on their Legos. And it didn't even, I didn't even care. I didn't care, because this was my time of being embraced, being beloved in someone's love who I adored. Do you know that each one of you always, no matter what, is completely loved? You are the beloved. And it's not because you're so good. It's because God is so good. And if and when you get lost for a while, all we need to do is turn, turn toward Jesus. You will be received, embraced with open arms. Here are a few questions I'd like to leave you. One, do you tend to live by a formula rather than within a relationship with God? Two, are you more concerned with being right or growing more open-hearted? Three, are there paradoxes inviting you into more maturity? Four, is there a sense, is there an area in which you suspect that you are lost and need to come to your senses? And lastly, are you lost in any way and do you want to be found? <laughs>